Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday morning messages are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, enjoy the message. Well, we kind of dodged a bullet, didn't we? Here we are all the day. We've got power. We don't have water floods. You know, it was amazing. We prayed. And I remember uh, Wednesday night we went after it, we prayed, and uh, matter of fact, the, it was showing it coming right up through the center of the state, and we were going to be in the wheelhouse. And then, you know, it was really neat to watch that thing just stop where it was and go straight in. Uh, unfortunately, we should have prayed for our, the, for our southern neighbors as well, and uh, there's always that consequence, isn't there? Because that thing, I, we were all just praying that it would just turn right around and go right back out into the ocean, but... Anyway, uh, we've got uh, a sister church, matter of fact, one of the larger churches in the whole uh, part of the state of North Carolina, Manor Church down there in Fayetteville. And uh, so our, our neighbors are really struggling down there. I don't know if you've been seeing the news as far as Fayetteville and the flooding that they potentially have, but their flood stage is kind of around 30, 35 feet on the Cape Fear River. They're looking at 64 feet that might be coming their way. So that they're talking a mile on either side of the Cape Fear River being underwater that's not good. So we need to be praying for our folks there and folks, of course, along the, uh, the coast from Beaufort and uh, New Bern area and all the way down to Myrtle Beach and beyond. So let's be praying and we'll keep our eyes and ears open for uh, 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 opportunities that we might have as a church to go down and serve some of these areas. We'll keep you updated um, as, as the need arises. All right, well, I'm beginning a new series. I'm very excited about this and I'm entitling it, A Hope and a Future. And the title comes from a very familiar verse, and I'm going to jump on that right now. In Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 11 through 14, it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me, when you seek me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Now, this is a wonderful promise, one that you've probably held upon, you know, held in your hand from time to time, quoted, maybe even memorized. And it's an excellent, it is an excellent promise. But I want to say that, you know, often we're tempted to kind of just take promises out of context. And, and as a Bible teacher and have been teaching hermeneutics and Bible, the, the science and art of Bible study for a long, long time, one of the things that's so important, and we kind of shortchange ourselves when we don't look at the context, when we don't see maybe the historical background of where the, the promise comes from. And in other words, we have so much more we can get from that. One of the things I'd like to point out is that often what we do is we stop right there at verse one or in verse two maybe. But for I know the plans for I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future, amen. Boom, we just stop right there. But we don't see the rest of the promise that is so in, in, important to this promise. And that is, then you'll call up upon me and pray to me. In other words, you will develop this intimate relationship. And then I'm gonna give you that hope and I'm gonna listen to you and, that, and God, is gonna, God is gonna be specific. But this part right here, you will seek me and find me when, I highlighted in the notes, when you seek me with all your heart. Now there's a key, there's a condition. There's a condition to the promises of God and there always is. I mean, we don't, we don't want to just cherry pick promises and just basically say, well, God's going to bless me and I can go on and live and do whatever I want. No, God says, I want to bless you. But notice that he gives us a hope and a future when we seek him with our whole heart. 
See, this series I'm very excited about because God has been doing some new things in me, and I'm excited about what God has going on in my life and my family's life, what he's been doing. And uh, even and, and on top of all that, in addition to all that, God has some wonderful things for our church. He's been speaking to me about the future and the hope of this region, and but more specifically about Valley Community Church. And so it's kind of this unique thing, and that's the way God does it. I mean, I don't know if you, you knew that, but when God builds a work, God builds a man, God builds a woman, God builds people while he's building his kingdom. It's always interconnected. And so God is doing some things in me, and he's sharing some things. So I'm very excited. It means that God has a hope and a, a future for us. But I do want to point this out. It, it's directly connected to that condition, when we seek him with our whole heart. In other words, folks, as we go through the next several weeks of learning how God wants to bless us and give us a hope in a future, it's going to require our stepping up and saying, God, what do you want to do with me? What is my hope and future? I want to seek you with my whole heart. And as a result, God says, I'll listen to your prayers. I'll listen to what's going on in your life. I will know your need, your specific needs, but there's going to be an interaction that takes place. I want to point out a few other things on this verse, which I think is important. He's talking about the hope and future. Who is hope and future? Well, initially, it was the Israelites, okay? Now, let me give you the historical background. If you've been reading through the book of Jeremiah with us through the Bible, you just finished it, and you'll know that what happened in the book of Jeremiah is the prophet Jeremiah has been pre preaching to the people of Judah who have been in rebellion and sin towards God for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years. They already know that the 10 northern tribes were taken away by the Assyrians a couple hundred years before. And so Israel has been walking away from God systematically generation after generation, but yet God was very patient and very loving and very kind and, and prophet after prophet, word after word, warning after warning, God was telling, look, until Manasseh came along and then Manasseh crossed the line. He did some very, very wicked things in Israel. And God said, you know what, that's it. Told Hezekiah, well, it won't happen in your time, this judgment, but it is going to happen. It was inevitable. And so we find that then Jeremiah begins to prophesy right up. He says, now look, the Babylonians are coming. They are going to come and they're going to carry you off into captivity and there you will stay for 70 years. And during that time, you will be disciplined for what you did and how you abandoned the covenant and, and, and all that I've poured out. I've treated you like my, my precious daughter and child, but yet you stiff-armed me and you walked away from me. And, and he says, you know, I, and so the context of this promise is right in the middle of that. I still have a hope and a future for you. Yet you're going to go. So Jeremiah is saying, look, not only is God sending Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of that nation, fears God. And so that's exactly what happened. When they came and spoke to them across the wall, they, they said, look, not only do we know we're going to take you down, your God has told us to do it. Interesting, isn't it? And of course, prophesies later, Ezekiel and, and whatnot, that, and then Babylon was going to have their turn too. And as far as judgment was concerned, and indeed it was. It was destroyed as a nation. But so this is the context of this promise, see, is in the middle of judgment in the middle of struggle. He, they're, I mean, they're literally being carried off into exile. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were some of them, the, early, the earliest ones taken over. And so he's saying, I still have a hope and a future for you. 
And so when we understand the historical context here, you understand that this promise is being given in the midst of struggle, in the midst of a judgmental period of time. And of course, it played out exactly as Jeremiah prophesied it would, as God said it would. 70 years almost to the day that God said, okay, now I'm going to turn your fortunes and you can go back and you will go back. The remnant will go back and replant and reseed, and then there'll be joy among Zion again. Happened just as God said. So the hope in the future is still something that God has for his people. And what makes us a richer revelation is that when we think in terms of our own wanderings, when we think in terms of the wonderful gifts that we've been given in the Son of God, in the forgiveness of sin, the wonderful fulfillment of all of the Old Testament coming together in Jesus. And how maybe as we Christians can walk away from that. And yet those promises, sermon after sermon, song that you hear on the radio, God calling us back, calling us God, his loving, caring patience with us that reckless love we sang about to God, that he'll never, we don't earn it, we didn't deserve it, yet he's coming after you. Don't you love that? He has not given up on you. But there are times, because we've walked away from him, that he might let us go into our own Babylonian captivity. A time of captivity, a time of struggle, a time of battle, a time of of, of soul searching where we end up coming to the end of ourselves and we run back to our Savior who will never turn away from us. Jesus, of course, used that with the prodigal son over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. God is merciful. It's amazing. So many people focus on the judgment of God. How could he do that? How could he do it? How could he not do it? How could he not discipline his children after thumbing their nose over and over again of his deep, loving care, and then sacrificing to demon gods, taking their firstborn children and burning them on big, huge copper bowls. I mean, come on. You say, how bad did it get? Really, really, really bad. And God said, and even in the midst of that, God said, I still have a hope in the future for you. For the sake of my covenant of David, Moses, and Abraham, Folks, even more so, is God still love you, love me? He has a hope and a future for us. But I thought it was important that you understood the, the historical context here because it, it's not just this flippant hope in the future. No, no, this is big stuff. This is a reclamation of who God made you to be. And so I'm very excited about over the next several months. This is somewhat of an introduction to what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks and months. But what I'm going to do is just I'm going to lay that foundation for that. So I want you to walk through this with me. I want you to come with me because this is, I'm laying a foundation. As Paul said, I hope as an expert builder, I'm going to do my very best. But to be a builder of what God wants to do for us, what he has planned for us as a church, and I'm asking you for, to come along. But I feel like we need to really be careful in laying the foundation for this so that we have what we need in order to build what God has in us, what he's got planned. So what plans? God says he's got plans, a hope, and a future for us. What, is, what, what are we talking about? God's plans for our lives or our plans? Or is there a difference? Well, there most certainly is. There most certainly is a difference between our plans and God's plans. But they do come together. There is a point in our life that God's plans become our plans. 
And I'm going to help you find that and, and dis discover that because I think that is a big confusion for Christians. And, and the reason why, I think, is because of our culture. We're a very independent rascal culture. We really, you know, in some ways, it's, you know, the, the whole pioneer spirit of launching on our own, building our own, pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, and doing what it is kind of something that translates into all aspects of our life. We like our privacy. We like this. We like that. And yet God says, no, <laughs> you belong to me. I'm your Savior. I'm your Lord and Savior. And what is a Lord except the one who knows everything about you? It is one you surrender to. He's yielded your whole, your whole person to him. And yet that cuts right across this independent spirit kind of thing. And I'm telling you, we, as a result of that, we, even as Christians, have developed our own plans. And so we're talking about this hope and future. We immediately, I think, translate and say, well, the hope and future, well, naturally, is that he's happy about and, and the future and the hope is going to come through what, what I think. Well, not at all. That's entirely not biblical, my friends. And yet, we're going to learn about that. We're going to learn about that. But that doesn't mean you've got a bummer deal coming. It doesn't mean that God's going to strip you of, of, of everything you have. You heard Rachel's testimony. It was interesting. It was wonderful because it's exactly what I'm talking about. As Rachel began to submit to what potentially God had more for her life, she discovered some amazing things. God wants to take us to some places that we're not used to going. Because we wouldn't naturally choose them. But doesn't that make sense? Since we're not God. So we're going to talk about that. Where do we get? How do we, we, what is this hope and future? Shouldn't we kind of know what that is before we kind of throw all in <laughs> to begin asking God for it? We'll talk about that. So this series is going to be systematic. I want to create a biblical plan of how we can embrace this hope and future. I'm going to be building what I call a biblical case for this plan. Much of what I'll be sharing is, is even fresh for me as I share it. And my prayer for you is that you're going to follow me as I follow the Lord. God is much, has much bigger blessings in store for us. And I say us because as the under-shepherd of this flock, God is speaking to me and I'm determined to follow where he leads. And so this is something that, that so many things have been coming together. I love when God does that. It's amazing kind of how the timing of certain things all come together. That's when you know it's God. That's when you know it's God. And ultimately is to go where God wants to take us. You say, well, couldn't God just drag us along? Um, he could. But I have found that God really doesn't do that. God, God you know, could, could God have just manifested in front of Israel like this, you know, angry thing that we see in the sci-fi movies in heaven and just say, look, change now. I mean, fire burning heaven, you know, earth shaken. Could he have done all of that and just take his big old finger from heaven and just squash somebody in front of them all and just say, you either do this or this is the way you're all going to end up. Could he have done that? Yeah, he could have. He didn't because God is love. God is patient. God is kind. God is all those things. And it comes from us. It's, it's, it, it, the, the offering, as Paul said in Romans chapter 12, is, is our will surrendered. That's our Living, we're the living sacrifice. That's your only sacrifice now, is offering your own life to him. And that's where it all begins. And I want to say this as kind of just, again, introductory, is that what, some of the things I want to talk about, and I'm going to talk about this at the beginning, really just beginning next week, right off the bat, 
is I've discovered about my own life and biblically in studying the Bible for so long. And, and I'm not, you know, the hard part of being an individual that has certain gifts and call and experiences in life is that obviously you tend to look at all things from, those, from that perspective. And yet I'm going to do my very best to try to back up and, and include as much as I can. But that's the unique thing about having, you know, done this as long as I have. And it's walked since 17, now 55, and have been a part, you know, a, a, really a Samuel in the house of God from, from the beginning, just growing up among kingdom things. That what I'm going to share with you, I think, is a culmination of many things that I have discovered. And I really want to share them with you because, again, I see it, I kind of see it as the finally coming together with this syncretistic understanding of what the Bible really says and what it means for me and you and where we are right now in history important. And what I've discovered is that balance is essential. Balance. Because what I've learned, and of course, <laughs> that is so me. I mean, Andrew can tell you that. I'm Mr. Balance. Oh, it's all down right now. I mean, that's what I did for my, the senior pastor that I served for 22 years. They called me the break man. Because Michael would want to go out and do so many things. I was like, hold up, brother. Hold up. Let's think this thing through. And that's me, no doubt. But what I have discovered, and I guess God is the reason why God is speaking to me this particular revelation is because of who I am. But I've really discovered that balance, as I've observed, I've watched, I've looked at people's lives, I've looked at my own life, is that, folks, God has made us to be a tripart being. We are a spirit, we are soul, we have a soul, and we have a physical body. And when, I'll just make this statement from the beginning, when we ignore that fact, we tend to only focus on that part of who we are, either for a season or entirely. And when we do, it is at the expense of the other two. So in this world, naturally, every human being, we have the whole thing turned upside down. Matter of fact, if you don't know Christ, your spirit is dead. The Bible tells us that in the book of Romans. But when you come to Christ and he makes you alive, he gives you ability, you, you are actually literally resurrected from the dead in your spirit. And your ability to hear the voice of God, understand the Bible, is now clear. But if you don't know Christ, my friend, your spirit is dead and you are soul in your body. And in this world, what we do is we focus on those two, but in reverse of the way God intended us to be. God created us a spirit first. Then we are a soul and then last but not least, in any sense of the word, we are a physical body. And yet the world can turn, so imagine it a triangle, and at the base, the foundation is spirit. In the middle of who we are, and that's where our soul dwells, is in our midsection right here. But it's our personality, it's our mind, our will, our emotions, it's, it's all that. And you feel it there, and it's interesting. But then we're body, we're a physical body. And man and woman, he created us in his image. And so this physical body is also supposed to, and, and it's interesting that, that false religions, they either overemphasize the physical body or they de-emphasize it. In other words, they would say that the physical body is the embodiment of evil. That's wrong, completely wrong. So, but understanding the balance that God made a spirit first, that God made a soul and who we are and our spirit and individuality, our, our, our personality, and then a physical body. The problem in, in this world, they flip it all the way around. 
The foundation is the body. Where, they get, where we all can agree is the soul is in the middle, but the spirit is, very, is either not existing at all, for they're dead in their trespasses and sins, or for Christians, we tend to minimize it. And what you will find is that in the spirit is where faith and wisdom and intimacy with God grows. It's where the word of God begins to get inside us. And I'm just going to say right here, you know, if you're mocking this, God help you. God help you. But let me, let, me, let me help you understand that if you get a hold of this, it'll change your life. It'll change your life. God bless you. God help you. Faith, the ability to get a hold of what God has said about your life. The problem is, we are underdeveloped in the area of faith. We don't know how to get a hold of the things of God because we don't know how to believe. We have not developed that intimacy. Intimacy is something that most, many Christians, I won't say most, but many Christians, it eludes them because they only focus on the soul, the mind, the knowledge, the intellectual pursuit of who God is. But God wants to get in to the inside and speak to your spirit. He wants to know you face to face. That was the intention from the beginning, and yet we have minimized it, if not completely removed it. That's got to be the biggest part, so that faith will grow, believing God to do some wonderful things, to be able to grow in wisdom and then in intimacy. That takes place in the spirit, and your spirit is developed. It's, it's, it, it's, you know, I mean, if you could think in terms of a physical body, if a spirit had a physical body, you know, for some, it's just that, you know, little 98-pound weakling. I mean, maybe I should be lighter than that if you're 88 pounds. But anyway, uh, but you, there's no strength, there's no energy, there's no, there's no courage. It's just kind of... But God says he wants that to be the strongest part of who you are. He wants you to be a mighty warrior wearing the armor on the inside, able to hear the voice of God, able to act upon the voice of God, not confused, but knowing your spirit is alive and awake. When God speaks, you hear it and you respond to it. And then in the soul, the soul is where knowledge grows. That's our mind, our will, our emotions. But that's where we learn to trust God. See, in, in the scriptures, it says, be anxious for nothing. Notice, notice that anxiety is an emotion. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and petition, let your requests be known to God. The problem is so many of us are unaware of what's really going on in our soul that we retreat to anxiety, fear, depression and struggle. The whole time God said, I'm ready to lead you out of that if you will only turn to me in your spirit and begin to trust me. And then God can deliver us in our soul. That's been a whole new discovery for me. Being more of an artist, more of a melancholy kind of personality guy, you know, I, I, mean, I know the deal, man. I, I know the dark night of the soul. I know all about it. But I've learned to let God take me out. And when, those, when I feel that, you know, the, the, the circumstances of this life or the melancholy come upon me, because see, that's one of the other things that melancholy struggle with is reality. <laughs> and so, and experience. And so there are times when I'm just going to, I have learned to just say, you know what? I don't have to be there. I don't have to live there. And as David said to his own soul, why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Put your hope where? 
in God. So that I reach out to him and just say, Lord, I'm, I, I fear for what's going to happen here. I'm, I'm struggling with what, knowing how that's going to work out. My money, my family, my this, my that. And so after a while, I'm so full up with the cares of this world, you just feel like you're overwhelmed when the whole time Jesus was a major part of his message was, trust me, I got this. Make an exchange. Your backpack of struggle and cares of this world is huge. I got a little tiny care backpack. Let's make a switch. Let me take yours. I'll give you mine. So you may just say, oh, David, you're just talking semantics. Well, you can say whatever you want to say. It's changed my life. It's changed my life in bringing me a greater joy and a greater sense of, of just peace. And I love it. I, and that verse just comes to my mind. Man, here comes the anxiety. You can feel it. Ooh, here it comes. You guys know what I'm talking about. You get a bill. You know? It was so cool, man. I just, had a, I just had an answer to prayer like that. Got back from vacation where you spend all your money. And then there's waiting for me is a bill. And I open up that bill and it's like, dear God. I mean, almost about fell out. I was expecting something. You ever happen to that? Where you're expecting one bill and it comes back like three times the amount? Well, that's what happened. I'm looking at it going, what? And I mean, almost, anyway, I didn't cuss, but I was thinking of it. The old soul, man. And I was like, oh, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then the Lord just said, David, what are you doing? Trust me. Anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and petition, let your request be known to God. God, I need you to pay this bill. And I just said, Lord, what do I do? And I, I remember I mentioned it to Andrea, and we both, and I just prayed. I just said, so I was like, okay, I'm going to call him. <sighs> Get on the phone. How you doing? Look, about this bill. He stopped me in midstream. It said, look, that bill, don't pay it. Excuse me? <laughs> is this the same company? I'm hoping this is the same company. He told me not to pay it. I ripped up the bill after the phone, and I just laughed. Because God just showed me again and again and again and again and again and again and again. He could have chose to do it in a different way, couldn't he? I mean, he could have brought the provision from another situation. It doesn't matter how God does it. He just did it. And he reminded me he's ready to do those kind of things by being anxious for nothing. I'm only giving you a little sample there, okay? A little sample of just where God wants to live with you in your soul. He cares about your fears. He cares about what you struggle with. He cares about the things that come upon your mind. He does not leave you when you walk out of this, and, and, and yet just in the religious zone, he wants to live with you every single aspect of your life. We're going to talk about it. Body. Now, physical strength, and that's where health is. Now, I, you know, sometimes we just want to diminish that, and I think we're, we, we, we make the big mistake of not spending some time and thinking about our physical body and keeping it healthy. And that's the goal, is keeping all three healthy. Healthy. And so we can talk about that. I'm not going to spend hardly any time on that because nobody wants to hear about dieting. Nobody wants to hear about all that. Nobody wants to go that way. I understand. But I'll just make, you know, some loving suggestions and then we can look at that. But folks, here's really the key. We need a vision for all three. We need a vision for all three. What does the Bible say in Proverbs 29, verse 18? Without a vision, my people perish. And this is where this is new for me. Because I always think in terms of a vision, of just a, a, a spiritual vision. That God's got a spiritual vision for my life. 
And yet God is saying, no, no, I mean, I treat you as a whole person, does he not? He saved us, and this is well taught, well, well researched and, 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 and uh, verified, that when Jesus died on the cross, we were saved in our spirit, soul, and body. Body resurrected from the dead. Hello? Saved in our soul, set free from the power of sin. Yep. In our spirit, made from death to life to be able to hear God, understand God, walk with God. He did all three. That's the power of the cross, by the way. So now we've got to have a vision. So if Jesus saved all three of you know, who I am and tripart, then what is the vision that he have? If he's got a hope and a future, does it not make sense that he's got a hope and a future for all of me? I think that's where we need to look. But I started off saying balance, and that's important. Because what I'm saying is I think we've ignored one or two, and that's hurting us. And we need to think about it. Doesn't mean we have, need to have, take a test. It doesn't mean we need, you know, anybody needs to be called out and, well, where are you doing? I mean, we don't need to have that navel gazing, self you know, examining you know, aspect of who we are. Not at all. But it is something we surrender to God. And that is the real point here, is it all starts with God. Where do we get a vision? From Him. He says, I have a hope and a future. Whose hope? His, whose future? In God. He created you for crying out loud. He knows you. Well, how is it that God knows? I mean, you're talking about future, you're talking about this. Where is that in the Bible? Um, you actually read the Bible? Future begins at the very beginning. Adam and Eve sin, and then God gives them a promise. I'm going to fix this. You blew it. You turned the whole earth over to the devil. And now I'm going to fix this. It's going to take me a little time. But he's going to come and he's going to crush the head of the enemy, the serpent. But he's going to strike his heel. But you will be restored. The promise of Jesus in chapter 3 through 5. God is all about hope and future people. And he's all about hope and future for you and for me. The point is we need to get busy discovering what that is. So it's not just going to be a static promise. It's not just sitting out there. What I'm saying is we need to go get it. He told us that's, that's exactly what has it in the prayer there. I mean, the, uh, the promise. Then you will, come, you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. That sounds like a very, very specific setup to me. And then he goes on, even more so, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. We've got to be all in, folks. Got to be all in. No more of this half-hearted stuff. You've got to go and pursue him. Jesus talked about this too. He talked about the field that had the pearl of great price in it. And he said, look, you, 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 you sell everything to buy that field. And then when nobody's looking, you start digging. And you find the pearl. And it was way worth way more as an investment of your life than anything you physically or had before. This is the very words of Jesus. And that's how we go after this. God has a treasure of hope and future for every one of us in this room. We need to go after it. It's going to take effort. It's going to take some energy. It's going to take focus. It's going to take exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Seek me first. Where does the vision come from? When I'm talking about vision, well, this vision comes from God, of course. 
And, it, and when it comes to our soul and who we are individually, it's going to be a self-awareness born in God. Did you see? That was part of Rachel's journey there. It was a self-awareness, wasn't it? There was a certain aspect of who she was that was yet to be discovered because she was thinking only in her own mind. She was thinking, and she was letting fear, she was letting intimidation, she was letting all the things that we all go through hold her back. When God said, I have totally new things for you to discover, I've got, I've got some wonderful things in your life that have yet to be un, even unpacked. If you're ready to hear it, if you're ready to cry out to me for it. You may say, well, why do I have to cry out? Why is God making it so hard? Why do I have to cry out for this thing? Why can't he just do it? Because God is interested in your change before he gives you the change. You understand? There is an aspect that we all understand as parents that we want to see a heart change in our child. I ain't going, mm, that look in your eye. You, I'm not going to give you what you want. I can tell that your heart's not right. So you just, you just go right back to doing what you're doing and then come back and try that again. We know that as parents. We get that. How could the heavenly father be any different? You've been asking me for wealth. You've been asking me for this. You've been asking me for all these things, but I know your heart. Your heart's not really with me. Your heart is for you, and I want more. I want your spirit, your soul, and your body. I want you all in. And that's why often prayers don't get answered because we're praying. We're not praying his will. Because the way he taught us to pray, our Father who lives in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done, right? Your will be done. You want more prayers answered in your life? Know what the will of God, what the future and the hope is for your life, and pray that way and watch it start going. We're going to talk more about that. So maintaining a balance. Well, yeah, maintaining a balance in all three of these areas all the time is an impossibility, but it should always remain our goal. We should not use this as an excuse because God's grace is sufficient during these times. In other words, to just say, um, there may be times that each in three areas of our life, we're going to need a miracle. We need a miracle of deliverance to even come to Christ, for our spirit to be made alive. We need a miracle to, for our soul to be made well. And you know what? We're going to spend some time on that. We're going to spend some time on that because you know what? Our soul gets damaged along the way. And it becomes a ball and chain in our life. We're trying to come into the hope and future that God has for us, but there are soul issues. Our mind is messed up. We've believed some lies. We need to get those lies out. In our will, there's some willfulness. There's a, a lack of surrender in certain parts of our life that God wants to come in and, and, and set you free in that area. So there's freedom that can come in the soul. Again, salvation in the soul. I've experienced a lot of that in my own life, a lot, and still need a bunch, I'm sure. But having grown up in the home that I grew up in, the things of, of mistrust, the areas of, of struggle that I've experienced, maybe even uh, addictive bondage, things that, that, that we can experience as human beings, God wants to deliver us from those things. Because as long as we've got them, yeah, they're going to slow us down. Here's, a, here's the wonderful part, is that God can do it. Uh, Psalm 23, verse 3. He restores my soul. Man, I love that. 
He wants to restore your soul. So yeah, you got some hangups, you got some depressive areas, you got some areas in your soul, maybe some traumas from the past. God's bigger than all that. And he can most certainly reach right inside you and heal that. Just as he healed the, bro, the, the shriveled up arm and the man who was born crippled, he can reach inside. You know, we all think of Mary Magdalene having been in prostitution for as long as she has and thinking, well, what was her problem? Are you kidding? Abused all of her life? Being treated like a, a, a thing for most of her journey? Do you, do you not know that when Jesus looked at her and said, be healed, my daughter, that she was healed from the inside out. And she saw who she was in God's image for the first time in her life. Can God do that? He absolutely can. Over and over and over. And I've seen it so many times, it's just like, yeah. The most important of all in our spiritual journey, our spiritual life, is confirmed by Jesus. If you want to know the, the biblical foundation for this, we must seek to clarify our life message. See, so many of us, our life message hasn't come to the surface yet. What's your life call? What's your, what's your message? What's your stamp? What's your footprint? What's your legacy? It's in God, perhaps yet to be discovered. But we find it right there in Matthew 6, and how we get there. Jesus said it, and I've said this so many times, it is my life verse. And I'm sharing with you again. Jesus said, you know, seek me. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So seek God's purpose for this planet and God's ways of doing it and, his, and, 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 and the love and the mercy and the goodness and the morality, yes, as it flows through his righteousness, his right standing with him, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you as well. God's concerned about all the other things. He just wants you to get them in right priority. And when we get a vision for our life and we get it straight, that it's seeking first the kingdom of God, getting my spirit close to him, then getting my soul freed and delivered from some of the things, the, the, the hits, you know, hit, uh, the weights and things that easily beset us, the sins and whatnot, and then move on to releasing our body physically into serving, to doing, to using our hands, using our feet, you know, using, being, being present to be used by God is an amazing, amazing thing. And that's what Jesus said he's going to do. So where do we start? Well, God, of course, we've got to start there. It starts with your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we're going we're, you know, to continue to talk about that. Of course, that's what we talk about every Sunday, and that's what we do when we worship. We're, we're coming. But, but, but some of you need to be conjoled or cajoled, or however it's pronounced. Some of you need to be lovingly pressured out of this comfort zone that you've been in. And all I can say, and, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, how's your Christianity working out for you? I mean, you know, let's just be honest. How's it working out for you? Are you happy? Is it helping your marriage? Is it giving you joy? Is it setting you free? Do you know the deliverance of God? If you experience the presence of God, do you know that joy that just captures you in such a way you're just like, <laughs> I got no reason to be happy, but man, I'm good. Oh, I'm good. I know that's a bit in your face. How's that Christianity working out for you? 
But folks, look, you don't have any time to mess around, really. I, I mean, I don't. And I want this so badly for you. That, that's why we're going here. And, and, and God has told me, and it's amazing, when I first drove into town, Andrew and I were coming up I-95, and I remember I was coming in this direction, and you already know much of the story about the intimidation and the, I mean, am I making the right decision and all that? But yet God just showed me along I-95, and I'll never forget, it's written down in my, my prayer journal, that I saw all, you know, I saw these plants and these beautiful trees and flowers popping up on either side of I-95 and, and coming right into this region. And God, and God just spoke to me. He says, this is what I got planned for this region. And this is what I want you to do. I want you to sow the seed, David. Sow it. Because I want to bring deliverance and freedom and beauty into my people's lives. I'm going to transform this area. And I'm calling you to be a part of it. And I also learned another thing. that Because I misunderstood what God was really saying. Then I kind of jumped in and said, okay, let's get this whole city on board. And let's... Let's, and I ran into a lot of problems in realizing not, not everybody was there. And then God pulled me aside in a time of prayer, and he goes, um, you missed what I was trying to tell you. I've called you to do this. And what God was saying to me at that point was to say, look, I've given you a jurisdiction. What I've called you to do, David, is to, is to pastor this church, this one church. Love these people, pour your heart in, throw all in and make this the best doggone church it could possibly be. I can get that. That's like a coach who says, okay, look, this is our team. And we're going to go out in the field, and we're going to play as hard as we can every single time. I don't care about the other team. And yet sometimes the way I was doing is walking over to the other sideline saying, hey, how you guys doing? You want to know how to beat us? Let me tell you our whole offensive scheme. And yet you may say, well, isn't that being kind of you know, exclusive? No, it's not. Not at all. It's just doing. I mean, it makes sense. I'm the father of my family. I'm not the father of your house. I'm the pastor of this church, not the pastor of anybody else's church. This is the jurisdiction. This is what God has called us to do. And this is what I'm going to be sharing with you. We can go. We can do this. We can do it together. And when we do it together, God is stirring the pool. I love that. I love that when God says, I'm stirring the pool. Remember when Jesus, and they, they would get around the pool of, uh, of Solomon, and when it, the, sp- the pool started to get stirred, they, what they felt like and we believed is that the Holy Spirit or angels were there to heal them, and they did actually have some healings. So there was a crippled man by the side of the pool. He couldn't get there, and Jesus says, well, you don't need to get in the water. I am the healing stream. I am the pool. And so God's telling us, he's speaking to me and speaking to us, I am stirring the water for such a time as this. This is what I'm getting. This is, this is why I'm so excited about this, because this is really a, a, a prelude to what I believe God is going to really be doing in our midst. Some cool, amazing, get-her-done stuff. And I believe we can do it together. So this was an intro to this whole thing. And I'm already over time, already over time way over time. But look, everybody else is shut down for the storm. Buffets are going to be wide open. Come on now. You'll be fine. You'll be good. But folks, we need growth in all three of these areas, including our personal lives, our marriages, our financial lives, our place of service. We also need growth in our church. We need to continue, and we need to, continue to, to do what God's called us to do. Love the people out there. Help them get theirs. And we can do that. But it starts with us. And I'm asking you to join with me in this journey.
and I hope you come. Nobody's forcing you. Matter of fact, you can listen to all of this and just say, no, that's okay. I'm not a vacuum cleaner salesman. I'm not trying to sell you any Ginsu knives. All I'm trying to tell you is, <laughs> this is my journey. This is what God is doing. This is where I, I feel like God is calling us to go. And I know he's got some wonderful things planned. Not only have I experienced it in my own life, we're going to enjoy this together. I believe we're going to have so many testimonies, we're not going to know what to do with them all. Which, we, which includes, I, I, I'm asking God for miracles of physical healing. I'm asking God for deliverance in, with people that have been so tormented in their soul, they've been given up upon. I'm asking God to bring in lost people, I say lost, potential believers, who some people will look at and take a double take and say, whoa, I never thought they'd come to Christ. God can do it. Amen? Let's stand up this morning. You've been listening to Valley's podcast. Valley Community Church is located at 1215 Julian R. Allsbrook Highway in Weldon, North Carolina. We invite you to attend one of our Sunday morning services at 830, 10, or 11.30 a.m. Visit us at valleychurch.us or our Valley app for more information about our ministry.